You're listening to Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast, discovering our inner depths, one fathom at a time. Well, hello again, friends. Welcome to another episode of Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast. And after many false starts (laughs) due to technology not cooperating with us, I am very pleased to introduce to you our friend, Milton Stewart. Milton, thanks for sticking with us <laughs> as we try to figure this out. I'm glad to be here. How are you? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing well today. I'm glad to be here. Good. It's so good to have you. It only took us 35 minutes That's all. <laughs> to finally get started. <laughs> the, the podcasting life isn't so glamorous behind the scenes, is it? Yeah, it's not. But Milton, so glad to have you. Uh, on the show with us um, and want to make sure our listeners know who you are, because if they don't, they need to know who you are. So if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and your Enneagram training. Yes, um, I'm Milton Stewart, originally from Memphis, Tennessee. I I started a business with the Enneagram Coaching and Consulting. Um, I consult organizations from Fortune 100 to nonprofits. And I also uh, work in an elementary school when I'm not doing Enneagram work. So I mentor um, youth, young black boys to be more specific. Um, Mm -hmm. And the school I work at is a charter school, very under-resourced neighborhood. Uh, We're doing our best to help uh, them prepare for the world. Uh, Besides that, I have a podcast called Do It For The Gram, an Enneagram podcast. Um, Yes, (laughs) great. Uh, so I, I do that as well. Let me think. My training, my training comes from uh, Ginger Lapid Bagda. She was the first, my first teacher. Um, absolutely great, transformed my life, uh, most definitely. And then I've also learned under Jerome Wagner, along with um, also Beatrice Chestnut and Uranio Pius. Wow. So you oh, yeah, and, studied under some of the legends. And, and yeah. the narrative. That's where I met Abram. Forgot. Boom. Yes. That's great. So that you, you participate in the same narrative training together in Nashville, I see. Yes. Yep. That is is one of the things I'm I'm grieving about uh, this season right now, among many things, of course. But um, is that we don't have the opportunity to kind of interact with one another in person mm-hmm. at conferences and trainings and events. So thankful, at least, even though technology has not been our friend today, that we are able to connect this way. So. That's great. So your your current work, Milton. You have the podcast. Uh, you're working in elementary schools. You're uh, doing some coaching and consulting. Sounds like you're a really busy guy. Yeah, um, the life of a seven, I guess. I stay busy, and then I com- <laughs> then I want to complain. Like, man, I'm just too busy. I have too much on my plate. Well, you put it there. Yeah. yeah so good. Well, we're excited to talk with you and. Uh, Again, thank you for your willingness uh, to find some time for us amid your busy schedule. Uh, So one thing, Milton, that we wanted to talk with you about and get your perspective and your wisdom from is, well, in particular, like the current social climate. What is your take on it? And and how does the Enneagram informing how you respond and react to the current situation? Yeah. um, As everyone knows who's listening, America is um, on fire literally and figuratively yeah. right now uh, for a lot of different reasons. And for me personally, it's, it's a heavy weight um, that is, I know a lot of people, Black people feel it um, because it's, 
at this time it's been even heavier and I'll explain a little bit later, but um, right now it's, it's heavy for me because it's like, I am used to it, but it's a roller coaster of emotions. It's like when, when it happened like three weeks in a row, right? We had, we had, you know, he's jogging, killed Arbery. Then we have George Floyd, you know, then we have Brianna. And so like, it was just back to back to back. And it was so heavy because I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling scared. Um, And then at the same time, I'm trying to explain to my mentees who are like fifth, sixth, fourth grade, like what's going on um, and the impact it has on them as a black boy going to be a black man eventually. What what impact does that have? And then dealing with their emotions, too. So it's like carrying the weight of that and then carrying the weight of um, wanting to communicate and speak out. But at the same time, I'm just tired. My body is tired. So what the Enneagram has done for me, honestly, is giving me the ability to listen to my body and like not mm-hmm. fight it because as a seven, I want to get stuff done. I want to do so many things. I want to be here. I want to be there, meaning in my house, to be honest, but it's still a lot of things that I do building my yeah. business. Right. Yeah. So it, it's tough because yeah. like mentally, if I have the pressure, creating pressure for myself when I need to relax and just lay down to, to like recharge and like mm. to kind of get myself together. But I'm saying I need to be productive. I'm not relaxing. And then I have this this stress that I have created out of nowhere. So the Enneagram has helped me to be like, you know what? Your body is telling you to go lay down right now. This is not typical for you. You're not Mm -hmm. used to this. But there's so much going on inside of you right now that you just need to relax um, and really kind of deal with what's going on. And, you know, for a seven, it's easy beforehand. I could have maybe distracted myself with something and do something. But as I've done more Mm -hmm. inner work, I cannot act like I no longer feel the pain or the sadness or the fear. Um, and I can't rationalize and flip everything on a positive note that I would like that I could back in the day. So I feel these things now. So the Enneagram has helped me to do that. But what that has helped me do is allow me to allow that pain, that sadness to actually go through and me processing it. Right. So when I process it, I can actually move forward and make like a wiser decision. I can be healthier. I can be beneficial. Mm-hmm. I don't feel a certain way about not doing something or feel like I have to do something, but I'm listening to my body. I'm understanding my type uh, and the people around me. So so yeah. that's um, that's a big part of it. And I think the other weight comes from like this is the first moment in history that I've witnessed where it's like a whole lot of white people like, dang. I can't believe it's this bad, you know? <laughs> um, right. <laughs> and so I'm super hopeful and I'm super thankful and grateful. But that yeah. also comes with like now every white person I grew up with, like and went to college with, they're like, hey, man, are you OK? I didn't know this right. was going on. What can you tell me about this? And it's like at first when it's first happening, it's too like it's too much for me. Right. Like it's like, whoa, whoa, it's, right. it's too heavy. Totally. Um, yeah. And so it's like I need some space to breathe and to think, uh, to recoup and get myself together. And um, once I'm able to do that, then I can come back out and talk and communicate and do all these great things I want to mm. do. But like at the time, it was like, whoa, 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 it's too much. And then, you know, social media. Yeah. You, oh, my goodness. I, whew, whew, it's just everywhere and everything. Right. Yeah. Like, so it's like. This yeah, is a lot. Yeah. So I had to turn off um, quite a bit of things for a couple of days, almost like a week. What, what does that look like as a seven for you to take care and pay attention to your body and, and feel your emotions and, and get out of your head, that sort of thing? What does that look like? Ooh, practically? Um, 
it, it looks like being and being is really interesting mm-hmm. um, because we're so used to doing right mm-hmm. for for seven. It may look literally like just laying down in a bed, not sleeping, just laying down in a bed, <laughs> literally not trying to process everything yeah. mentally, but allowing that pressure I feel in my chest and in my body to stay there a while until it passes. Because if I try to distract myself, do something, come up with something else, I'm not going to deal with it and it's going to store and it'll come out some other way eventually and maybe not even a healthy way. So I wanted to make sure that like, Mm -hmm. for me, it looks like I look a little boring. That's what I look like when I'm doing it. (laughs) If you look from the outside, I Mm -hmm. I look a little sad, um, definitely. And then there's there's spurts of anger because really besides a seven trying to get what they want, anger is actually a, for a lot of sevens uncomfortable, you know, because we want to be happy and we also want to make other people happy. That that makes us happy too, right? But there's this there's this gap in there where it's like sometimes you need to be angry to like get stuff done or to make make a point or to like if you've been done wrong, you know. So there's a balance there of understanding like oh, I can be like this and that's okay. Milton, I wonder if you could speak to this collective white folk. Dang. Man. Um, I, listen. What, what is it? Yeah. I, Go ahead. I, I am working on learning this white folks. Dang. Like, because <laughs> I, I have so many, I, I have questions myself. Like, I'm, I'm curious. Like, and maybe because the world slowed down and like it was, no one has the ability to be yeah. extremely distracted by what they usually have that it yeah. was brought more to light. And I think that's what it is. Um, for yeah, sure. I the think gift that's what of it, COVID. Yeah, it, exactly. I think that's what it really is. But it is like I have never. And this has come from every black person that I know that we're like, this is an interesting time. Like we're so used to this happening and getting no results or nobody hearing our mm-hmm. voice. But now it's like there's tons of allies right now. There's tons of white people like, man, this is messed up. I got to jump in and do and do something, you know. So I'm super hopeful for that. And um that that just gives me like it gives me a sense of um, positivity going forward in the future. You know, like even though I'm a seven, like the one of the things about the seven being so happy is because we actually have a, quite a bit of negativity going on in the background. We just flip it, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah. So I've I've been well, I've been dabbling in a lot of negativity. It's kind of crazy. Um, it's like oh my gosh, it's draining me. Um, but like I said, it's it's a lot of hope because I think that helped everyone kind of figure it out. Yeah, Milton, I'd love for you to um, explain the term coined by Dubois of double consciousness and, and, <laughs> and perhaps how you experience that on the everyday. So double consciousness is um, very interesting for especially how I experience it. So everyone has a conscious mm-hmm. where they experience how they interact and the world interacts with them. But when it comes to Black people, there's a whole nother interaction that we have to um experience and go through and think about in life so for instance this also makes it harder when you're trying to learn enneagram and for people of color or marginalized people because there's a whole nother layer that you got to get beneath right so for me double consciousness is i am aware when i go to a restaurant how i enter the building so i make sure i smile even if i'm not happy i smile especially if it's a a establishment that has majority white people because i want them to like not think that i'm um, going to be against them or hurt them or think nice of me. And so I teach that even to my mentees. 
when it comes to um, police interactions. I try to make sure I am as courteous and as friendly as possible and almost almost subservient almost as much as I hate to say it, but it's a fear. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want anything bad to happen. So you might be trampling on my rights, my American rights right now, but if you don't kill me, I guess I'll take it, right? Um, you know, mm-hmm. so that that's an issue. And then I'm just very cognizant of what I wear when I'm around, when I'm going into places that are predominantly white. Like, it's like, okay, I need to do this so that they don't think I'm like this. You know, even my emotions. I even go into, I went to Harding University. We don't care necessarily all the same beliefs when, uh, behind a lot of things. But the thing is, I was always aware, this extra layer of like, how I present myself every single time. So it's like every type mm. of black person who you enter there, it's like, if I'm going to be successful, I've got to figure out how in the world can I adapt to this situation um, where I don't seem like a threat? You know, what can I do specifically? Mm-hmm. How can I do something? To, you know, because maybe I want to come out uh, in my apartment and just go in a hoodie and just hang out. Can't do that, right? Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Like, it, it's a whole bunch of small things that I constantly think of and I constantly try to fix and do so that, I'm perceived well, or I make a good impression, you know, or I just don't seem like a threat. So that's kind of how mm-hmm. I experience double consciousness. It's something always ticking of like, this is who I am, but also this is my color. And so how does this affect people? But also how does my natural affect people as well? So it's a, uh, it's a weird. Yeah. yeah. If you could, if you could sum up that definition into like just a sentence that someone, that people can kind of grasp onto, what would, what would that be? Oh, that's a good one. Um, Making me work, Creek. All right, so (laughs) I would say double consciousness is the ultra-awareness that Black people have around how their skin color impacts people around them, mainly Mm. white people. It seems seems to uh, speak to that there is a system in place here that I don't seem to be, um, Mm -hmm. that I don't seem to have the same level of, of contribution as everybody else maybe does, right? Mm-hmm. So out of out of double consciousness comes code switching. Ooh, yes. Is that is that yeah? Oh my goodness, code switching is so real. I didn't realize I did it. Like because mm. <laughs> I didn't realize till a friend pointed out to me. So my church I go to is diverse. We have black, white, um, some Asian people, some Hispanic people, which is great. And my friend was in the car who had like broke his leg. Um, and I'm just talking regular, like how I usually talk around the house, a little bit of slang, a little bit of educated this. It's, it's a little bit of all of that. It's who I am, mm. combination. But I had a a, a um, church member, friend come up and she's white. And I totally turned like how I was speaking. Like, and I didn't know, it was so automatic. It was like, I, mm. oh, hey, how you doing? Da, 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 da. And he was like, did you know what you just did? I was like, what? He was like, you just totally switched the way you, t-. I was like, oh, I did, didn't wow. I? Like, and it, and this was, mm. this was like, I don't know, 17 years old. I've been doing this for so long. I wasn't, I didn't even notice that it was like a part of me. It just was like, yeah, that's, that's what it is. I, I do that so I could like make sure I succeed or look okay in, you know, people's eyes. So that is a small example of how I've been learning code switching. Yeah. It's so real. Yeah. How double consciousness starts to manifest itself. Oh, man. Like, that's that's one way. Yeah. Deeply. Are you familiar with the term spiritual bypassing? Yes. I'm curious what uh, how you would perceive something like racial bypassing Ooh. in that same sort of feel. 
do you want to explain spiritual bypassing? Good idea. Yeah. So spiritual bypassing is, uh, it's like doing yoga, but without ever actually, it becomes yoga as an identity versus yoga as a practice. Mm-hmm. It's spiritual work that's disconnected from other sorts of work, like psychological, um, emotional. Mm. It's not connected to those actually moving in it as well. Well, yeah. is, and isn't the result then that you can't, you, you don't actually resolve any of the deeper issues that that spirituality is supposed to resolve, right? There it's it is. kind of, a, yeah. it's a veneer, right? A gloss yeah. over it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So in light of that, how would you see racial bypassing being a thing, especially for white people? Oh, you, you're basically saying that they are, in a sense, saying that, oh, I understand this is so wrong. I can't believe they're doing it, but there's no action. Mm-hmm. Like there's no real. Yeah. Another term I've heard around that is is white on white supremacy, oh. where it's like, I'm more woke than you are. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing all these things. What's oh, your problem? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that. That that is that is super annoying, but that is real. Um, I, there definitely is some racial bypass, and um, probably see it a lot in social media. To be honest, I'm out here showing mm-hmm. you what I'm doing, that I'm with, I'm down with them, I'm woke, all that kind of stuff. And it's like that's great, but we need action more than anything. Like, and we need long term continual action. That's yeah. the thing we really need, you know. And it's not always going to show up. Like, I wish. For the sake of helping people understand the work that like elementary school teachers do in uh, under-resourced neighborhoods mm-hmm. and schools, like the conversations I have with the kids, I wish people could be a fly on the wall and hear those conversations because they would impact people at a deep level, you know? But those aren't the things I'm trying to like, let me record this real quick. This is going to be real good. They're going to love this, you know? So th- right, that's not, right. you know, so the real work is a lot of times what's not being seen. And so your life has to reflect it, not just your Instagram, your Facebook, your Twitter, your TikTok. Mm-hmm. It has to be a thread throughout your life where somebody's like, oh yeah, they, they're actually a part of this. They, they fight for this. This is one of their things they do regular on a regular basis. Mm. Um, mm. So yeah, racial bypass is definitely real. I mean, you know, that's a whole nother level we have to work on as well. Just like, all right, so what are you actually doing besides memes? Snaps for that. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Memes, memes are like, are great. But we, I mean, we had a whole episode on the Enneagram and memes and like how it is a level. It is a level. True. Just like social media is a level for racial injustice of bringing awareness right. of all that other stuff. But if you never go underneath, then then you're doing you're, you're hardly doing anything. True. Right. True. It does make me wonder, and I, this is a bit of a rabbit trail, but uh, if there's spiritual bypassing tendencies of, of each type, Ooh, yeah. you know, mm. and therefore maybe racial bypassing mm. tendencies of yeah. each type that could be considered explored, maybe yeah. that's for another episode. But Milton, I wonder if you would be willing to give us a quick overview of systematic racism and that's a very large topic i realize yes i'm excited listen you know you have no clue this weekend i have been thinking about nothing but like how to Mm. communicate systematic racism um because i think this is where the biggest gap in understanding for um white people it is it's like where it's like if they understood this portion they'd be like oh shoot it makes more sense now Mm. you know um, because I think our education system has failed us in America in a lot of different ways, from our smartest to our most under-resourced schools, literally, because it's a lot of times not teaching empathy, compassion, but also not teaching us the full totality of our history in this country. Nevertheless, sure. I digress. Um, 
But what I'm talking about is when you talk about when someone says the man is keeping me down or the system, it's the system that's got us. What they really mean is the laws and the rules that are in place in our culture that have that are keeping people of color, marginalized people and black people from being able to succeed. That is that is what the system is. So mm. I, I was I was on Instagram scrolling and somebody said something crazy and I was looking. I was like, don't reply. You haven't done this since college. Don't do that right now. You know, like you, you're going to get fired up, you know, like. Um, but I was looking and it was talking about slavery's over. Like it doesn't affect you anymore. And I'm like, oh, this is hurting my head. So slavery technically ended June 19th, 1865, two years after the, the Emancipation Proclamation, supposedly. Right. Um, people act like people just stopped. And it's like, go ahead, slaves, go have a good time. It's good. We, you free now. So first of all, first of all, if you don't have any land, where you going to go? You don't have any money. Where you going to go? Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have any resources. So what do you do? Most people stayed at the farm and the plantation. So did the plantation owners necessarily change? Maybe some of them did, very few. But if they're making money for you, they just kept the same thing, the same thing going on. So, but also the ending of slavery didn't stop racism. Here's the thing. So they said, okay, I can't physically do this now. So now I'm going to bake it into laws. Laws that you cannot actually do certain things or makes it or makes it extremely hard for you to do it. So, for instance, Jim Crow laws, like people are listening, Jim Crow laws, that is something to research. These are laws that were put in place that made it hard for African-Americans to do almost any and everything that gave them the liberties that America is supposed to offer. One of the main ones being voting. They made it so they called it like the grandfather clause, like almost like your great grandfather had to be able to vote if you can vote. How I'm going to do that? They was a slave. You know what I'm saying? They were enslaved. Mm, yeah. So these are things that's part of the system. So that's the voting issue. Right. And we already still have voting suppression. They literally had this issue in Georgia like, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. So mm. like this is still going on, like system stuff. Right. Right. Then you want to let's, right. let's talk about living real estate. They did this thing called redlining. Redlining is making sure that people of color could not get certain loans to live in nicer neighborhoods. And so that by far puts you in a whole nother element of like, I can't move up in life and live in a nice place because they literally won't give me a loan. I have the education. I've worked hard at my job. I've done all these great things, but I cannot move up in this area, unfortunately, because they won't give me a loan from the bank. So that, that's that's another issue. And then we talk about um, the judicial system. Oh, my goodness. There's so many issues with the judicial system. So one of the biggest things we can look at that devastated the black community is in the 80s when crack came through in the 80s in America. The same drug smoked in different ways, uh, uh, inhaled in different ways, was counted differently against the scale. The scale was so was tipped so bad that like black people in poor communities used crack in a certain way because it was easier to make it that way. But then white people, more affluent people, use it this way. Everybody was using it, unfortunately. All these people were using it. But what area was being more police? The poor and the black community. And then the way that they used it when they were caught, the poor and black people, they were sentenced two to three um, times way more than white people who were doing. And so, like, this created a whole criminal system, right? And then media, obviously, at the time, made it criminalized Black communities. So all of a sudden you have this. Then you have all the fathers and the people in prison because you also have this other issue, right? There's rules and laws about jobs, okay? 
there's an issue with jobs. So now if we're looking into the job market, you have unemployment issues. So if people can't get jobs, then they're doing the best they can to provide for their family. And that meant selling drugs, especially in the 80s. Right. So now you have you have that whole issue with employment. And nowadays, if you have something on your record, a criminal record, you don't know anybody. It's hard to get a job. So how are they supposed to like be rehabilitated, make it again? Redemption, you know, it's hard. It's so hard. And then we we leave out the emotional and mental factors. Well, not even getting to that just yet. And then on top of that, we have education issues, right? We have education issues when we say that they tried separate but equal. That didn't work because it was separate, but it wasn't equal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the issue with that when education came is that when black people started to kind of move into the city, into like the schools and kind of tried to make them interracial, white families moved out of the city and eventually laws changed where the money did not go to the schools that were in the city and they went more towards the schools that was out of the city. And so that affected the resources you're able to get to people of color. I mean, this is just yeah. 40, 50, 60 years ago. This is not far mm-hmm. back, you know? So, I mean, even it affects us today, but you know, it was more drastic then, right? So you have all these things impacting our like culture, the culture of black people. You have almost every area you can think of, right? So their their rights of being to vote is being suppressed. So you hard to vote. Okay. Then you want to talk about it's hard to get a job. So employment is hard. So it's hard for economics. How do you come up if there's not fair ways to get jobs and where to get into the market? Okay. Education. You're not giving the resources you really need to be able to move up in life and have a fair education so you can do things. Then you talk, yeah. then mention the judicial system. So that's holding you back too. So if you look at these systems, these are all the pillars of how you make it in life and make it like up. Like if you work hard, you can, you know, you know, all these things. If all these things have laws that are restricting you from actually being able to make it, oh my goodness. Mm. Oh my goodness. And so for black people who are able to make it, it's like we had a sliver of a window opening. We had people who were nice enough at times to be able to help us. And sometimes, a lot of times, that is some white person who had a great heart, who was like, you know what, something's not right and you are really good at what you do. So I want to give you this opportunity. And we just so happened got through that gap in that window, you know? Because where I come from, like I grew up section eight. <laughs> and there's a there's a guy in my church well, he's no longer there. It's a family in my church, same age. He didn't make it out. He was killed in gun, gang violence. His younger brother than him got in gang violence. He's still in the gang, still having trouble. Went to jail for a year. The younger brother in gang. Like, it is not easy to get out because there's so much stacked against you. And so it just makes it really, really hard. And that's the one thing I want people to understand. There are so many laws that were created out of racism to be honest, and I'm going to speak straightforward, that has created the system that we have, and it's baked in there. So for instance, you know, if you bake something, you don't always know every ingredient in there if you bake something in there, right? Mm -hmm. But that's what happens. And we're born into this, and especially if it doesn't necessarily impact you negatively, you don't know what's happening, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. Man, (laughs) thank you, Milton. Thank you for that. Because, you know, the sad reality is, is that, you know, we're still having to convince pockets of this country that systemic racism is even a thing, right? Right. right. I, I even know what I would consider well-meaning, but misguided people 
that who would say, hey, systemic racism, it's a fabrication. <laughs> uh, and so therefore it is just an individual issue, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> and if it's put in a religious context, it's just a sin right. issue. And I, I think that's a binary that I just, it doesn't hold can I, up. Can, yeah, right? can I speak on that there real quick? Systems. Yeah. Because I've, yeah. I've heard one of those arguments too about, well, the, the family unit is so broken in the black house, in the black community. Why? Ask why. When you start to ask why and do more research, you will figure out that it goes back all the way to black people being auctioned off on auction blocks. You just split up a whole family. So a child just grew up without his dad who was there, who was great. But you you shipped him off into another uh, slave plantation. So now this family grows up without that. So this young boy, this young girl, whoever is there, they do not learn what it's like to have a father. And that trickles down. That keeps going like. Who, unless someone steps in and says, I'll be a father figure for someone in here, that, that steps in. So it's it's a lot, y'all. It's a lot. Yeah. I, I just imagine the the amount of the everyday stress of just survival, right? Right. And I've heard I've I've heard you and other people of color talk about how uh, the black community especially just has a really hard time engaging in personal growth and going to therapy and, and those sort of things correct me if I'm wrong, but that sort of just survival mentality. You're just like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? hundred percent. Yeah. I'm not safe. So why would I try to yeah. it's, make myself it's, it's, better? It's hard to even get there. So one of the first things we deal mm-hmm. with, the first thing that reacts in our bodies instinctual wise is our gut. It's our instincts. That's the first one. So whatever instinct that's dominant in us, dominant is mm-hmm. the one that's triggered. And so imagine being triggered all the time. The few times that Maybe people here have listened that you've really been triggered that like some took over. You were like, I don't know what in the world it was, but it wasn't completely me in control. So that's what's happening to people, black people in communities. They're being triggered constantly. That is stress. Right. Mm. And then when you talk about stress, how do we alleviate stress? So a lot of people understand if you have some money, you can go get a counselor or get some mental health. And there's different ways to do personal growth. But guess what? First of all, counselors and mental health it has a bad stigma in the black community. One, because a lot of times uh, most counselors are all white. And so they automatically feel like they don't know me. Mm. But then also there has been throughout history where black people were like experiments. It was like, oh, let me mm. let me see about this black person. Let me. So there has been this passing down of like, don't trust them. Like they don't know what they're talking about. And for some instances, they don't. You know, so you do have to find a good counselor who can really understand you. But that becomes the hard part of it. Like, how do I get to a place where I can be helped? Because then does come like another way of spiritual bypass from the black community. It was like, just pray on, just pray, just pray for it. You'll be all right. Just pray on. Right. It's like yeah. you do need to pray, but you also need a counselor. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. So. So that becomes the issue. I think the good part about it is that like elementary schools and schools are now trying to implement more and more of those. And that's something I fight for equity and education as well. Mm. Um, so our kids have counseling and social workers and all these things. Um, we just need so many because so many kids are. So, it's just so much like it's just so much. Um, mm. But it's really it's just really it's, that's the part about helping the community, the black community understand that those things can help. But getting them in a place where the system isn't so far against them that I can get to a place where I can be emotional. I can get to a place where I can think about my mental health because right now I'm just trying to pay these bills and feed my kids. Right. Wow. I have six million questions (laughs) to continue. Yes. But 
thank you so much for your wisdom and your perspective on that. Well, um, one thing that we really wanted to talk with you about, Milton, was um, you know, just the importance of inner work and how that translates into outer work, right? Um, yes. So mm-hmm. I'm a, a quotes guy, and so I thought I might preface with this, this thing that just helps me connect these, <laughs> these ideas. But, you know, psychologist uh, James Hollis, he says that the quality of all of our relationships is, is a direct function of our relationship to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in light of that quote, I wonder if you could speak to how real quality Enneagram work is also anti-racist work. Yes. Okay. And this is where, just like what you said, the relationships that we have is so important, like with ourselves, understanding that, because that gives me uh, empathy. I don't know if it's empathy, but sympathy when I do encounter somebody who is just extremely racist and harsh to somebody else who, mm-hmm. just because of color of skin, I was like, man, your internal world must suck. It must be horrible in there. Right. Like, for real, yeah, for you to be like this. Uh, so... One of the things about do, really doing the inner work and not just like basking in your numbers, like basking in your ego, it's a hard place to go. But every time you actually go there and come out of there, there's something beautiful you find within yourself and within your relationships. And so the, the hard work of inner work is built on being able to humble yourself and realizing that this world is not just about you. That's what inner work does. Mm -hmm. It humbles you in such a degree. It helps you to see your flaws, your faults, those things that we don't want to look at, we haven't realized. And so it wakes us up to those things like, oh shoot, that's going on. Wait, I'm thinking like that. Wait, I feel like that. Mm -hmm. And you you actually deal with those things that are coming up in you that Mm -hmm. are really difficult. You actually process them and stop moving on automatic Mm -hmm. with your ego to deal with them. And then what you realize is that you've been living in a false reality for quite a while, for a lot of your life. You've been seeing reality in this very false and weird way. And so you also see on top of that, it allows you to see the people you've hurt and how you've been hurting yourself, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So there's this balance of saying, whoa, that's really messed up. Because I really do think mm-hmm. if we could get more people onto the Enneagram, but just some self-awareness track how much better the world would be. Because everybody, you would pause for a second. It creates, inner work creates this space Mm -hmm. between you and your ego and automatic response. So you can say, whoa, what is happening? What's going on? Mm. Like, and so now I have the space to process what's going to be the most beneficial thing for me to do right now. And not just react, but respond. Right. And like that becomes so real. And, And if you're not doing, to me, if you're not doing real outer work, then you're not doing real inner work. Mm. So if you if you haven't started acting on something in your life that is unjust, wrong, not okay, then your inner work is not, you're not really hitting it. You know, you may be grazing it. If it feels good to do inner work, you're not doing it right. You know? Mm. So like you have to really be doing these things because it's going to challenge you to actually go outside of those like normal things that you typically do. And it's going to have you shift things and try new things mm. and say, hmm, let me see. That's a different perspective. I haven't thought of it like that. Let me see, right? So to me, the one of the deepest things like with inner work is that it has to be coupled with outer work because you experience things externally from people that you don't always get from yourself, right? So 
Other people see things in you as well. That's the crazy part. People can mirror ourselves. They're really good mirrors, whether it's good or bad or indifferent or ugly parts of us. They have they, they, they mirror a piece of us. And so we having to do both is actually a really challenging, but a way to, to actually grow. And it must be done, in my opinion, if you are actually seeking to grow through the Enneagram. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so this this makes me think of um, another question. We don't have to get too deeply into type specific wise, but, you know, Enneagrammatically, you know, the sort of how p- potentially certain types are more oriented towards activism and ones are more oriented towards withdrawing and how um, with that like you're saying this this helpful balance this vital importance of of uh, awareness cultivating awareness and um acting in the world you know I, I just i'm wondering about how you juggle the fear of not knowing enough in order to to play my role here but also fight using not knowing that you're using your bias to fight against bias you know when you're when you're kind of right you know yeah i just wonder if you could speak to that I, a little bit i think that can be one of the most challenging things for um different types you know especially like an eight for sure maybe a sexual four mm. like those things are huge because they're speaking out and it's coming bold and that energy is coming forward mm. so strong i think there's a the power in inner work when you understand that wow like, this is my tendency. I have a tendency to go real hard, real fast towards other people without necessarily giving them the benefit of the doubt that maybe they just didn't know. Maybe they just don't know. Maybe they're not coming at it from a negative standpoint. But then also, I have the, I have an issue. One of the biggest issues I have, I have great fives in my life, and especially like self-prez fives. And I say that because literally, like if you're having a, a discussion about race or something, and they're like, them people just don't, you know, blah, 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 blah. And the five be like, well, maybe they don't know. But here's my issue. The only thing is that, and this is where inner work comes in. Mm. It's like fives have the ability to be objective in these situations, meaning that they can give information to help people understand in a way that's not filled with so much emotion that may make a person defensive. I just need fives to actually go and do it. That's the issue, right? So if you understand that like, and this is going right back to what you said, they don't feel like they know enough, right? Right. But this can be for anybody. So it's like understanding that you have to start somewhere. And the thing is to build relationships, start somewhere. If you incorrect, it's okay. You learn, you grow, you get better. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about it. But if your heart is in the right place, and your mind, and your body, and you're integrated, not just purely <laughs> your heart, not purely your head, but your body too, and right, you're right. integrated, then that's a place where we can, where you can say, okay, let me go ahead and, and, and try this and listen, or I need to step up and create action. And then from there you learn, yeah. it's practice. It's like riding a bike when we you yeah. know, learn, you're just learning. Right. When I did edu- educational advocacy, I'm not used to going in front of like the city school board and like all these different like laws and rules and stuff. I still feel like a baby uh, when it comes to it. And I am up there, I've been speaking in front of them. I know councilmen's names and all these things now after a year of constantly like getting to know things, feeling like kind of an idiot in the room. But when I'm trying, my purpose is greater than how I personally feel or or expect to feel in the situation. The purpose of what I'm doing is way greater than that. So we've got to make sure we weigh the purpose of what we're doing. Hmm. That it weighs, yeah. yeah, outweighs our personal ego, basically. Sure. And I even think like finding, I'm sure there's like type specific motivations of like why, why, what, what drives you to action? Yes. Right. Yes. 
for some it's it's the justice for some it's like like for me it's like the the uh someone's humanness some i'm a four so someone's humanness and specialness and uniqueness and originality is being challenged and that really pisses me off right and like what and and what is your what is your avenue of like doesn't matter what happens doesn't matter uh, what people think or blah 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 blah. like finding that thing that's so deep that the the tension that resides around those situations it doesn't matter mm-hmm. because it's the thing that's at the core of who I am, of right. what I'm here to bring into the world. Yeah, it does seem that each type on the Enneagram would have its own struggles and, and challenges with that those healthy rhythms of inner and outer work, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and without developing those, as you're saying, Milton, you know, and, and tending to both, then I think we're back again, yet again, to the spiritual yep. bypassing and, and, and other activities that really aren't getting at the root or at least are maybe coming from, you know, the, the roots of who we truly are and who we're truly mm. meant to be, right? Yeah. So I think final question from me is, um, let's say there's someone listening that has suspicion or isn't completely sold on whether whether racism is real or the system is rigged or um, just even just not sure what is their role, what are they to do? At the very least, what is what is one thing a person can do to begin opening themselves? Like the very smallest, tiniest thing that someone can do to open themselves further. I would say the smallest thing they could do that comes to mind is Google. And that is, <laughs> and, but and obviously we want good and great sources, right? But yeah. if nothing else, research, educate yourself. Look at like books like White Fragility, which is one of the books. You can go to Amazon. It's going to be the top book, most likely, dealing yeah. with race. Um, books like So You Want to Talk About Race. Like just mm-hmm. educate yourselves on a lot of the different things that have happened within America that we may not have been taught in history class. Mm-hmm. Those things will help to kind of help a person see, hmm, I'm not sure about all of what they're saying, but there is something to it. Because if you do the research and see how lopsided it is, how hard the discrimination is, then you'll have to start to realize like, there's something to it. I may not agree with all of it, but there is something. So I would say at Google, uh, ask Siri, but educate yourself. That is the like before you can do anything else. If you don't know how to act and you don't know what to do or barely believe black people, <laughs> um, <laughs> educate yourself. Just just start doing some real education work uh, around the different spaces. If you need resources, obviously there's plenty of black people who can give it to you too, and like resources on social media and Google. But mm-hmm. I would I would say that that is one. Yeah, and we will have an extensive list in the show notes of resources you can learn. Yeah. Yeah. And Milton, I'm, I'm confident that this episode, because of your contribution to it, will be one of those resources that mm. will serve as, as a really helpful educational tool for people who are at that place where, like, where do I start? You know what? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think to a lot, a lot of white people, it feels overwhelming. Right. 
even if, if even if they're concerned and are willing to admit so, you know that systemic racism is is real and still very present in our society it can feel overwhelming right and uh, i think what you've done is you've broken down hundreds of years of history <laughs> yeah, really painful history um and in complex issues that are very difficult into some really accessible uh, ways that are very practical that can be so helpful to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I am so appreciative of the work that you're doing and the space that you hold mm-hmm. um, in the various roles that you play in Memphis and globally in the Enneagram community. It's been a profound you know, honor for me to talk with you and I'm sure Rick and Abram, you would agree. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, Absolutely, sure. man. Milton, and I'm sure people are going to leave uh, listening to this episode wondering how can they keep up with you and your work? Mm-hmm. So where can they find you? Um, how can they stay in touch with what you're up to? So they can find me. Um, I'm on Instagram, Do It For The Grand Podcast. I also am on YouTube, um, which I'm working to build that. That's a whole different thing. But you could, okay. you could follow and subscribe to my podcast, which is Do It For The Grand and Enneagram Podcast. That's where you know I do most of my Enneagram work with uh, teaching and explaining different things. And uh, besides that, you can contact me there from my website, uh, kaizencareers.com, uh, which can reach out about different services that I do have or you know, collaboration, teaching, yeah. understanding groups, all that kind of thing. So mm. yeah. Great. And that's, and I have your, actually your business card that you gave me oh, oh, right here. Look at that. Oh man. How about that? What? <laughs> and so not, not bad. Huh? That's awesome. Who keeps so, business cards anymore? Seriously. This guy, this, okay. this, this, this old dad right here. Uh, <laughs> but just so you know, Kaizen is spelled K-A-I-Z-E-N careers.com. And we'll put links in the show notes to all of that. But yeah. uh, I can't stress this enough for those of you that have really been uh, woken up from a slumber, like we talked about it at the beginning of this episode and realizing, hey, there's a lot going on that I've not been paying attention to. I want to diversify my feed. I want to diversify my voice, the voices that I'm listening to. Uh, Milton is a voice you should be listening to in the Enneagram community. So please do uh, check out his, his work listen to his podcast, follow him on Instagram. Uh, you will be better off for it. I know I have been. So awesome. Milton, thank you so much for joining thank us. You. Thank you, man. It's been yeah. wonderful. And, it, and we'll have you back because we've got way more to yeah. talk about. But. So much. Yes. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast. If you found this episode helpful in any way, consider sharing it with a friend or family member. We are so honored to be on this journey with you, discovering our inner depths, one fathom at a time. Truthwork Media Studios.